this time I was going to go ahead and invite up uh, Representative uh, Kelly to the pulpit. Uh, today we've invited him in. If you're like me, uh, you read all the stuff on the voting ballots and it's like, I don't understand half of it. And so that's part of the reason I invited Mike out today is just for him to share what we're going to be voting on this Tuesday. Come on up, Mike. But the most important thing is, is that, that we as believers vote. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this after Mike's done, but I believe the Lord put a word on my heart this morning, and, and I want to share it after he's done. But really listen to what he's saying today, because these elections are important. Uh, the things we vote on are very, very important. They're always important, but I think this year more than ever. So, Brother Mike, if you want to, you need to stand here. No, because I brought a PowerPoint that may or may not come up at some point. But, well, thank you all for coming to listen. Some of you had a choice, some of you didn't. Um, But there is a huge election that's coming up. I want to start off, and I'm going to read it word for word because I want to make sure I cover my bases. Welcome to the Oakton Ballot Forum. I will be covering the seven proposals on the ballot for November 6th. Please understand that the opinion shared... Somehow we missed tonight, but it was close. Are my opinions and in no way legal advice on how you should vote. It is also not in any way the official opinion of Oakton Church or its staff. While I'm happy to answer questions, remember my responses are just my opinion on the issue. I can be reached after church, 417-483-7456. Text works best. The reason I say that is I have a feeling, especially after second service, There may be more texts come through, and if someone's calling, obviously, if I'm talking, then I can't answer the next phone call. Now, going on from that, if we could go to the next slide. Amendment 1, known as Clean Missouri. You've probably got a lot of mail on Clean Missouri. I'm going to tell you what each of these do. You can determine whether or not you think it's good or you think it's bad. Amendment 1 is a multi-part proposal. One, it puts a limit of $5 on lobbyist gifts to legislators and staff. Right now, a lobbyist for XYZ company could come and take me out to a $50 steak dinner. Now, if people believe that that $50 steak dinner is going to change how your legislator is going to vote, then that may be something that's important to you. I will also point out that that same lobbyist could make a $2,000 campaign contribution and that legislators can use their campaign account to pay for meals that are dealing with business, thus that same steak dinner that they would have taken out. Right now, you at least know who took me out for that steak dinner. When this changes, the steak dinners are still going to happen. The legislators will just use their campaign account to pay for those and will likely get a campaign check addressed to them to pay the difference. But it looks great on paper. Number two, it bans legislators from serving as lobbyists for two years after leaving office. I believe currently there's a couple out of the hundreds of registered lobbyists that are people that I know in the last eight years after leaving the legislature became a lobbyist. Do I think that it's a huge revolving door issue? Probably not, but it would stop it. They'd have to wait two years. Other than the fact, let's pretend that I was a nurse. I don't know why I keep using nurses as the example, but I think it's because it's a a noble profession and people like nurses. But let's pretend I was a nurse, and I served in the legislature for eight years. 
I worked on a lot of medical legislation that was very beneficial to nurses. And when I got out of office, the nursing association had an opening and they wanted me to work for them. Even though I have great qualifications, great experience, and I know how the process works, because of this, I would be banned. Now, some people may think that's good. Some people may think it's bad. But I'll give you a second scenario. Pastor Kent comes to work for me as my legislative assistant. He works for me for two weeks and realizes that I'm an ogre, that he hates working for me, and he quits. He gets an opportunity to work for Missouri Ministerial Alliance on their lobbying arm. He can't take that job because he worked for me for two weeks. It doesn't put a differential on how much time the legislator or the staff actually served in office. I believe there's some constitutional questions that could be raised. Third point, it prohibits fundraising on state property. I, I'm going to hold up the number of fingers that I've experienced of people raising funds in eight years on state property. I, I think you get the general idea. It doesn't happen. Nobody says, hey, can I reserve hearing room too so I can have a fundraiser? Nobody even thinks of it. I can tell you, you see people standing outside the building when they're taking phone calls because someone's asking them a question on the political side of things, and they refuse to answer it in their office on their own personal cell phone. It's just not an issue. But it looks great on paper. It's going to change the amount of contributions that someone can give. Right now, any person in this room could write me a check for $2,600, and it's completely legal. Well, actually, it would be not legal now because I no longer have a campaign committee. But assuming that I did, you could write me a check for up to $2,600, and that's per person. So, you know, if you've got children over the age of 16, they count as a person under this law. So if any of you wanted to, you know, write a $10,000 check with a family of four, the Millers, you know, they could do it. Their kids are old enough. Is this really going to change transparency? It drops it by $500 and $100. It's not a significant change, but on paper it looks great. So you might ask, well, what's the real purpose? Why are all these things here? Well, I think it's point number five that is the big change. It's the way our legislative maps are drawn. Right now we have a bipartisan panel. Five Republicans, five Democrats have to draw up the House and Senate maps. They do this every 10 years after the census. The change that will be made is going to make this change to a single person that is appointed by the state auditor, which in my mind has nothing to do with elections. If we were going to have somebody appoint a person to do this, you would think it would be the Secretary of State, since they're in charge of elections. But it's the auditor's office. Now, I'm not saying that there's a connection to anything, but right now our state auditor's office is the only office that is held by a different political party than the party that's in the majority. Some people have questioned, why would you pick the auditor? That may be the answer, it may not. But the real question is, why would you give that much power to any one appointed person? Because one person's going to redraw the entire state maps. And that person was appointed by one person. Right now, your districts have to be contiguous. If you look at all of our districts, they're little blobs. It looks like some little kid was given a crayon and told, draw 163 circles, but you have to draw them as close together as you can. 
and that's what the state looks like. It's based upon population. If this changed, their goal is to try to draw up the districts to be as close to our statewide vote as possible. Well, the problem with this, right now we have House districts in the cities that run 90 or so percent Democrat. You have similar House districts in the rural areas that tend to run upwards of 80 or 90 percent Republican. In order to make those districts try to match out, you're going to have wagon wheel or spider districts that go all the way out from urban all the way deep down into rural to try to balance that out. Gerrymandering at its best. I I don't think there's any other way to describe it. I don't think that's the way that our founding fathers intended for politics to be, and I have great concerns. The last one is the one that really troubles me. And it looks great on paper for people that think, well, open records law, that's good. We think open records are important. Right now, the legislature, anything we do is official business. It's all public. People can come to our hearings. All of our debates are live streamed. I tell people it's about as exciting as watching paint dry, but you can if you want to. But what's been great is during the last eight years, when people have reached out to me with some very troubling situations, when people have reached out to me about being sexually assaulted, when people have reached out to me about being physically abused, when people have reached out to me with financial issues, giving private financial information, social security numbers, and things that they knew were going to be confidential because they were sent to my secure server for the House of Representatives, have all been just that, secure. What this would do is open up every email that is sent to the legislators as open record. And in my mind, that is the largest disservice you could ever do to citizens of this state. It scares me to death. Not for the people that I've helped for the last eight years, because I can assure you my emails will be scrubbed before I leave office. But in the future, how many people will not be willing to reach out to their legislator because they know that what they're going to reach out to isn't going to be private? I think that's dangerous. I think it takes away the ability that we have to serve and to help people. On an average day, I get between 50 and 150 emails. So imagine how impossible it would be for the state to properly screen those emails and take out sensitive private information. Because under law, they would have the right to do so. But even if they scrubbed out names, if you come from a small community, the description of the circumstance can often give away the person even if the name was redacted. And I don't believe that we have the state resources to screen those emails. So either the legislature would have to just break the law or we're going to release public records that have not been properly redacted and haven't taken out personal information. And there's no legal definition for what personal information is. So what may be incredibly private and personal to you the redactor may think, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal, and release information that you would consider very dangerous and very hurtful to your family. So for that, that's my opinion of Amendment 1. That is what it does. 
If anyone has a question on how I'm going to vote on it, feel free at the end to text me. But once again, I'm just giving opinions of what happens and what's going to be done. We could go on to Amendment 2. Amendment 2 is going to legalize medical marijuana. Now, I've always been told that public speakers should always try to have something funny in their speech, so I'm going to tell you this amendment is obviously dope. Now, it really is. What would this do versus the other? We're going to have three proposals on the ballot, Amendment 2, Amendment 3, and Proposition C. All three of those would legalize medical marijuana or medical cannabis in the state of Missouri. This is an issue that is very divided. I can tell you in polling in my district, it has polled over 60% in favor. I will also tell you that I voted for it on the House floor. Now, the version I voted for is better than this version. In my opinion, this version has a very critical flaw, but it may not be critical enough that it's necessarily a bad bill if you support the use of medical marijuana. It lists 11 very, very bad diseases, debilitating diseases that medical cannabis has been proven in some studies to assist with. I have spoke with people that have experienced these, and in some cases, they're people that have now traveled to other states to get it. And in one case, and it wasn't Dr. Miller that made this um, prediction, so I want to make sure you understand that when I say it's a VA doctor that came and talked with me, it was not him. But I had a VA doctor that actually came and spoke to me at the Capitol and said I had a patient who I knew the best medical opportunity for him was a cannabis derivative, but I couldn't prescribe it because the VA would not allow it, even though he was in a state that did allow it. So his recommendation was to send that patient to a private doctor so that he could take care of his medical needs. The FDA just legalized a derivative of medical marijuana in all 50 states. It's obviously just one of the potential that could come through it. But there's also a lot of harm. There's obviously going to be people that abuse it. But the argument I gave to someone this week to ponder, I said, who here thinks guns kill people? Guns don't kill people. People making poor moral decisions kill people with guns. But the gun didn't do anything wrong. But if I was to tell you, let's take away the Second Amendment, none of you would probably rally behind that call because you believe in the free will and the choice that citizens have to make. In the same way, where does the government's role stop? We will allow fentanyl, a synthetic medication that a thimbleful would kill me, to be prescribed, but you won't allow a plant to be prescribed. It does bring up questions on, on where you're at. What's this do versus the others? This is a constitutional change, which means for the most part, the legislature can't go back and change it. Not that we've ever been known to do that, just a few times. It would allow an individual person to get licensed to grow their own medical. They would still have to require and follow all of the federal or all of the state guidelines, including locked facilities and different areas that would be a promulgated rules. It has a 4% tax that's going to be used for veterans. You still have to bring questions, if it truly is medical, why is it being taxed? 
because Missouri doesn't tax any other medicine. But with that being said, the 4% tax does go to veterans organizations in the state of Missouri to help with issues such as PTSD. This does have a limit on what it can be prescribed to treat, but the language, as I said, opens up concerns. State, state veterans organizations. And I can assure you, they'll use anything that the state gives them <laughs> and be very appreciative for it. But yes, the VA is not going to be receiving it because they wouldn't accept it even if, if you wanted to. The concern that comes up, it's got 11 different conditions that are listed. And I would have personally no concern if a physician decided that this was the best course of treatment for someone with these 11 horribly debilitating and often fatal medical conditions. But it does open up one little sentence that makes you have to go, I'm not sure. And that is, or any other medical condition as prescribed by the physician. So does that mean that Dr. Miller, if he went back into private practice, if I stubbed my toe on a chair, could I come up to him and say, Doc, my toe hurts. Can you give me a script for, mar for marijuana? And legally under the, prom the rules, unless they're promulgated different, he would have the legal right to prescribe that if he felt it was the best course of action. Do I believe that our physicians are going to go around abusing and prescribing things they shouldn't as a whole? No. But do I believe that there's the opportunity for it to happen? Sure. Especially when I found out that our physicians and ERs are given a grade upon your leaving the hospital. Were you satisfied? And that physicians' salaries for a lot of these hospitals are based upon customer satisfaction. So when it's already happening with opioids, and there are doctors who will give out opioids in the ER, not because they truly believe that the patient necessarily needs them, but because they want to make sure they get an excellent rating on their survey, could it happen? It could. But that's what it does. No one's going to hear Doc back there. Do what? That's actually one thing that they're trying to change. Well, they should. It shouldn't be there. Didn't that come in through insurance companies? I mean, you should not expect a customer survey and based upon what medication your doctor prescribes to you. We've set things up for failure, but it hasn't changed yet. I also believe that the best course of action would be for the FDA to regulate marijuana and give it for the 11 medical conditions listed and not have the extra. The BMDD, which is the Missouri branch of the um, <clears throat> DEA, is against that. Nope, I can't disagree. They haven't supported it. But I still personally think, instead of all these states legalizing, something that's still illegal on the federal side, it would make a lot more sense if we fixed it on the other way. I don't know if we're going to have time if we keep going to questions, but... Maybe we need a mic. That might be something for the second. 
Is there an estimate of what it's going to cost to license people and to police the licensing and make sure nobody's doing stuff they shouldn't be when they're growing these? She asked if there's going to be a cost attributed to that. Um, it will come out of the 4% that goes to veterans. The administration of the program will come from that, and then the leftover of that 4% is what will be given on so that there won't be no fiscal cost to the state to implement the program because it will be covered through the taxes. Whether that's good or bad, it is the way that it will be funded. Um, let's move on to Amendment 3. The next slide. Amendment 3 has all of the same medical guidelines, but it creates a medical research center. Okay, that seems like it might be a potentially great idea. Amendment 3 was put onto the ballot by Brad Bradshaw. He is a doctor, a surgeon, and a lawyer. The chairman of the board that will operate this medical research center by constitutional law must be a person who is a doctor, a lawyer, and a, a surgeon. There only happens to be one such individual currently residing in the state of Missouri that has all three of those qualifications. It happens to be Brad Bradshaw. That does bring up a lot of red flags. Obviously, when you're creating the thing and it's all about you, he does state that his position would be unpaid. Now, with that being said, could the board of directors change that? Yes, and who appoints the board of directors? He does as chairman. Their salary would be $180,000 a year, and he would be able to pick all of the board of directors. That does bring up some other questions. Now, with that being said, if it passes, I will send him a message and ask if he would like me to serve on the board. I think it sounds like a very great idea. Um, it will change the way that land can be acquired through eminent domain. There's a lot of concerns on that. Obviously, government taking land from citizens has never been something popular, and it's always been used in very limited areas for the best public use. I think this, once again, concerns people because it opens up more. It has a high tax, the highest that's currently in the nation for medical cannabis, 15%. It goes to a variety of different things. Some of it will even go back to a tax refund after they've paid for all the research facility, all of the salaries, and all the ongoing costs. Now, I don't know about you, but I would question whether or not they will ever pay for everything they need and that the money will ever be given back to the taxpayers as he proposes. Because I have seen with government programs, it seems like no matter how many dollars you give us, we can find a way to spend every one of them. Especially if you have a board that is not accountable to anybody that are appointed by one person who put this on the ballot. But it's what it does. There have been concerns raised about embryonic stem cell research. I can tell you that this is the only marijuana proposal that Missouri Right to Life has came out with an official stance. And they have actually came out with the official stance of vote no. They believe that it will um, allow stem cell research and research on aborted fetuses. This also does not allow a person to ever be licensed to grow their own keeping everything controlled by the government. Some people may say that is great. Some people may say it's bad. I don't necessarily have opinion one way or the other. 
I can also tell you that the groups that are supporting Amendment 2 do not support Amendment 3. And likewise, the same people that support Amendment 3 don't support Amendment 2. <laughs> they are not um, working together now. They started off working together, and I think that they realized that they had grave differences between their two proposals. On to Amendment 4. This almost seems dumb that we have to have a constitutional amendment for this change, and it probably is dumb. But bingo is in the Constitution of the state of Missouri. So if a veterans group, and they seem to always be the ones that use bingo, I haven't figured out why, but if a veterans group or some other organization has a bingo that they use as a fundraiser, in order to work with the bingo group, I guess I don't know how many people work bingo. I don't know that I've ever attended a bingo event. But I'm guessing maybe they have several people that have to help with it. Right now, if you join the VFW and you're like, I want to help with the bingo. I want to help you know, raise money for veterans. Sorry, you've only been here two weeks. You can't help until you've been with us for two years. This change makes it to where you only have to wait six months before you can work the bingo table. That's its only change. So I guess the easy answer, if you like bingo, you should vote yes. If you don't like bingo, you should vote no. That's all it does. Next slide. Proposition B. Proposition B is a change to Missouri's minimum wage laws. Currently, Missouri minimum wage has a cost of living increase that comes in every year based upon one of the multiple indexes. It may be CPI, but I could be wrong. So if it's not CPI, I didn't mean to lie to you. But it is one of the indexes that tells you, okay, cost of living in the state of Missouri has gone up this much, so minimum wage goes up to match that. The real question will go in, do you believe that minimum wage was intended to be a living wage? Do you believe that it should be the starting wage for businesses? If so, you may want to support it and vote yes. If you believe that businesses and the economy should drive what wages are, and based upon the area, you might want to consider voting no. I will also tell you that certain businesses will not be affected by this. I'll use an example, the Lamar Plaza Theater, because of its small size and its small income does not pay minimum wage. They're not required to. Now, costs tend to go up when business cost goes up. If you raise the cost of wages, you're likely going to see a cost increase on products. Now, will those balance out? Maybe, maybe not. Will that minimum wage employee possibly get ahead of where they were before? It's possible. But do you think that your teachers, your factory workers, your others, will get an increase in pay to match with this? And if those costs go up, will it affect them negatively? is also something to consider. Now this will be phased in over the course of four years, five years roughly, going 860 to 945 to 1030 to 1115 and finally to $12 in 2023. We'll also say this does not apply to government workers. And I had somebody question that. They said, why, you know, the government, you know, think they're too good? No, actually we don't treat our employees as nicely as the public sector does. 
there are state employees that if you figured out the number of hours they worked, they're under minimum wage. It is what it is. In the same way, all private sector employees, if you work over 40 hours a week, you have to get overtime. State workers do not. If I work my assistant 80 hours next week, she gets the exact same paycheck that she would have got if she worked 40 hours a week. But she gets 40 hours of comp time that she might be able to use sometime in the future if I ever let her have a day off. Now, with that being said, my assistant takes days off all the time. But we have a fantastic working relationship. I just use that as an example that state doesn't follow the same for their employees, and neither do the feds, as what we require for everyone else. So, is it good? Is it bad? It depends on how you look at it. My outlook, it's probably going to pass. I don't necessarily know if that is a good thing. But when people read it, people look at the side, well, I think people should make more money, so this is a great option. I just wanted to make sure you understood both sides of the economic issue. Next slide. Proposition C. This is a statute change creating medical marijuana. The important thing to understand is if Amendment 2 or Amendment 3 passes, this is null and void. So it doesn't matter if it passes, if one of the other ones do. Because if in the same year you have a constitutional amendment and a statute change dealing with the same topic, the constitutional amendment always takes precedence because it's a change to the Constitution. With that being said, it is a very simple program compared to the others. Probably easier than, than any of them would be. It has a 2% tax truly used just to fund the program. It doesn't allow home grow, and obviously there are some people that think home grow is a great idea, and there's some that have great concerns. And it could be amended or changed by the legislature. So could we change the 11 conditions and remove the paragraph that says, or other medical conditions as prescribed? The legislature could change that. Now I'm still hopeful that if Proposition 2 passes that, and I may give the wrong name, Doc, but Missouri Medical Association, whatever are certifying for doctors that kind of keeps Board of Healing Arts, is that the right one? That the Board of Healing Arts could come in and say, any doctor that prescribes without consulting us anything other than these 11 conditions will lose their license to practice in the state of Missouri. I would love to see them do that, but they have not came out with an official statement on anything at this point, they're definitely keeping their hands away from everything and seeing where the dust lies after the election. But I know that there will be members of the legislature that will be reaching out to them, hoping that they will put rules in to put doctors to make sure that they truly are using it for situations they believe are medically necessary and not that they're becoming marijuana dispensaries. With that being said, that's pretty much Prop C. On to Prop D the last of the seven amendments. Proposition D is a fuel tax. Right now, Missouri fuel tax is 17 cents. It's going to go to 27 cents over the course of the next four years. Now, let the record state, I'm a cheapskate. I mean, you don't get much more fiscally frugal than me. My new car, I bought with 182,000 miles. It's getting ready to break 199,000 miles, and I've had it four months. I drive a lot of miles. Most of those miles are not reimbursed. Now, with that being said, 
I've also been on a lot of really bad highways. I know for a fact that we have bridges that have tarps underneath them to catch chunks of bridge falling off to make sure they don't hit cars. I also feel it's important to explain some basic math principles. And Anne's probably going to yell at me for using this analogy, but I got laughs from everyone when I said this. We have roads that are falling apart. It's not you as taxpayers' fault. It's not me as government's fault. The truth is, it's asphalt. The costs of it have gone up. The cost of maintaining roads have gone up. And for the last 25 years, we've continued to see increases in the process costs, but we've seen no increase on the funds generated. Now, you might say, well, aren't we selling more fuel today? Sure. But you have to remember, selling a gallon of fuel equates out to X number of miles of damage to a road. So more fuel sales doesn't necessarily say, oh, well, that gives us more money for roads because it also means you're just doing more damage to roads. Now, I'll have you also ponder, do you think that today you're driving a car that gets better or worse gas mileage than it did 25 years ago when this fuel tax was put in? I know, me personally, I get much better gas mileage today than I did then. So what's that also equate? I'm driving farther, doing more damage, and paying the same amount for that road that I'm blessed to travel on. Now, I was talking with Ben Baker last night. He is a candidate for state rep down in um, southern Missouri, a little farther south than us. And he goes, you know, he's a definite anti-tax guy. And he's like, you know, I'm not probably going to support it. He says... You know, I've been to Africa. I've seen their roads. I don't really want to compare our roads to Africa. But I do make the statement to people, I don't care if you vote for it or not. I'm from Barton County. I'm used to driving on gravel. But it's the facts of where things are. Did I vote to put it on the ballot for you all to make that decision? I did. Because I was one of many that refused to put this to law without your vote because I did not feel it was my place to make that decision, that it was each of yours. But it's now your decision to make. Now, there's some confusion on the funding of the Highway Patrol, because that will be in the language. Highway Patrol is already funded through the state fuel tax. This is just going to give them a designated line item in that state fuel tax to keep things cleaner, to give them a guaranteed stream of revenue versus having to come each year to MoDOT and explain these are our needs, this is what we need, and then having to ask for that money and having to have that money appropriated from MoDOT. It's their own line. Obviously, all the money that's going to go to them was money that was already being spent on them from the other side of the line item that now goes to road projects. It does also create a fund that will fund large infrastructure changes that can only be got only be used for infrastructure. Because there's concerns, well, doesn't some of MoDOT's money go to airports? Yes. Doesn't some of it go to bike paths? Yes. How about river portways? Yes. But I will also tell you that the estimated tax off of this, upwards of 40% will be paid by out-of-state people. So I can assure you none of your tax dollars will be used for anything except roads. We'll use the out-of-state people's tax dollars for those other projects. 
Now, if any of you believe that, you're probably the same person that says, well, make sure if you pee in the pool, you do it on the other side because I don't want it near me. But it's important to understand MoDOT does form other forms of transportation, and that's why I can't tell you that every single cent is going to go to a new road or a new bridge. But I can tell you that over 90% of MoDOT's budget goes to making sure that roads and bridges are maintained. And these funds will go to that, pro that purpose. Do I think it'll pass statewide? No, it's probably gonna fail. But it's okay, because as I told you, I'm used to driving on gravel roads. So that's the seven ballot proposals. I know Pastor Kent wants to say a few words. I will be around after church today. I won't be around after the 1030 service because I'm being shoveled off to Carthage. But if you all have any questions on anything, feel free to ask. I'm going to ask him if I can, you know, put this slide on in the next service. And now I'm just going to take the, you know, chance and go with it. I will remind you all that there's a scripture that says, I knitted you in your mother's womb. As you research candidates, I'd ask you to encourage and remember that God held life pretty precious. Missouri Right to Life has a list of candidates that they have approved, that they believe will defend that life, and I think it's worth looking into that. I will also leave you with James 4-7. If you know the good that you should do, and you don't do it, it's a sin. I didn't have a lot today, but Mike pretty much said what I was wanting to say just right then. And so it's confirmation on what the Lord was putting on my heart this morning. But because of the time change, I was up an hour earlier than expected and was able to pray a little more. And But... The words he put on my heart today was defend the faith. And I'm going to have him pull the slide up there, but, but yeah, go ahead and pop it up. But it, defend the faith. And actually, the scriptures you used were just as good. But, it, but these were talking about Paul and, and how he fought the good fight. He finished the race. I've kept the faith. Uh, then going on into fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and then confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Then hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. But, but part of defending the faith and defending the gospel is what we're going to be doing Tuesday when we go to the voting booth. And, and that's very important. And, and you're getting the same things I'm getting in the mailbox. You're getting the candidates and you're actually, you'll get a, a printout in there and says, this candidate thinks this, this candidate thinks this, this is how they voted. And it's very obvious what they believe. And we've been bombarded with those things and, and would like to throw about half of them in the trash because we get two or three of the same ones. But, but I tell you to be prayerful. And, and, and be thinking and, and asking God on how to vote on each candidate coming this Tuesday. Because you are defending the faith with your vote. You are fighting the good fight with your vote. And, and, and Jim said earlier, and I agree with him, you're seed planting. Uh, when we do these things, we're, we're planting the things of God when we stand for what we believe in.
Now, in saying all that, I believe God has called the, the body of Christ to prayer and to fasting. And I was going to do it Tuesday, the smart guy I am, but, but I'll probably be voting at 7 o'clock. And, and so I thought, let's pray Monday. And, and anyway, the, the next slide is American Family Association. Uh, they're praying for these things. And I've been reading it, and I thought, that's perfect what we need to be praying and agreeing for as a congregation. So I want to challenge you as a congregation tomorrow to pray and fast for this nation. And these are some things you can be praying about, that Christians would continue to love the lost and share the gospel uh, with them, that Christians would be emboldened to hold and defend a biblical worldview, that all candidates and our, and our uh, country itself would be protected from attacks from within and without during this election season, that the electorate would be granted God's wisdom to choose candidates of godly character, discernment, and judgment. And that's just some ideas of things that you can stand on and, and the, the American family standing on and, and we can come in agreement with. And I want to challenge you tomorrow again to fast and pray. But the second thing I want to challenge you with today is to vote. And again, our voting is our faith in action. How can our prayers be effective Completely effective if we just pray and don't vote. And so voting is an act of faith. You're praying, God's given you the advice on Monday. You, you've read the, the, the words before you as far as the candidates, what they believe, who they're about. You, you, Mike's done a great job with amendments today. We go into prayer and fasting for him tomorrow. God shares with us and we line it up biblically the best we can and we initiate our faith on Tuesday and vote. Amen.